This episode was recorded in 2023. Hello and welcome to Returnity. I'm Letty Gordon-Furs, founder of The Springback Guide. Every week we'll be diving into the pressing need for better support on women's back-to-work journeys after maternity leave. You'll hear real-life stories from working mums where motherhood has transformed their careers and get an inside look at the industry leaders at the forefront of innovating in this space. Ready? Let's go. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome Zoe Johnson. Hi Zoe, how are you doing? Hi Letty, I'm good, thank you. Good, I'm so excited that we could do this today. But tell me, where are you in the world right now and what can you see in front of you? I am in southwest London in my home office in a quiet house for once, working from home. Tell me about your family unit. Who is in it? So I'm married to Nick and we've got two children. Rory is five and Mariella will be two in February. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Carrie Fit and why we agreed to get you guys up on the podcast. But I'd love to know about what did you do pre-babies? Because this is always a weird question. I have a corporate background. So I studied languages. I'm half German and I studied French and Spanish at university and got into real estate a bit by accident. I ended up on my year abroad working for a real estate company as an intern in Paris in 2007. Then Then I finished my languages degree and went on to do a master's in real estate management. The bum fell out of the market. It was all a bit desperate, but I did manage to end up getting a job with LaSalle Investment Management, which is part of the Jones Lang LaSalle group. It's the sort of client side arm. So yeah, I started out as a grad there and you do something called your APC, which is your professional qualification to become a chartered surveyor. So I did that. And then once I was qualified, I moved to Paris, worked there for a couple of years doing French real estate acquisitions. And then in 2014, I moved back to London and I moved into the consultancy side. So within Jones Lang, so JLL. And I worked in their European investment team. So I was doing capital markets work and client relationship management across Europe. And yeah, I did that until I left them at the beginning of this year. Whoa, there's a lot of things to talk about in there. I think namely, it sounds like a lot of studying. Yeah, (laughs) I basically started a four-year degree, diplomas in Paris and Spain for languages. And then I did two and a half years of professional qualification while I was working. Oh, and a master's. So yeah, a lot of studying. Oh, and a master's. (laughs) (laughs) I did a master's and I admire the fact that you said oh and a master's because I think my master's just about finished me off so we've got a lot in common and again we were talking about this before the call so I spent a lot of time in France as well and I do think that it's a really good kind of basis for working life just to see how other people do things but you must have had a head start to that anyway being half German so is it your mum or your dad who's German? Yeah my mum is German I always had languages in my upbringing and was always sort of exposed 
exposed to lots of different European cultures, particularly French and German. So yeah, it was sort of like just a really big kind of part of me. Yeah. And I found it was not that common a thing for British people to speak a lot of different languages. So actually, when it did come to getting jobs in 2008, which was, I think, the worst employment year on record, particularly in the real estate industry, the fact that I did have languages on my CV was just a bit of a differentiator, I think. Yeah. Albeit it's not necessarily totally relevant for working in real estate, but it was just something a bit different that made my CV stand out, I think. Mm. So that's why I think I was one of the few lucky ones that actually did manage to get a job. Definitely. Definitely. And yeah, anything to make you stand out, right? And I think it's funny, isn't it? Because especially in this, like, this day and age makes me sound so old saying things like that. But in this (laughs) day and age, I mean, they say that languages are on the decline, you know, in terms of people studying them. And especially, obviously, because we're native English speakers, people are like, oh, what's the point? You know, but actually, I don't know, like the best experiences that I had were abroad because I think there's a self-selection process that happens where you're meeting so many other very very like-minded people because everyone's made that decision to go abroad to do something different it would be easy just to stay at home and just do what everyone else is doing but the best friends that I made were some of my abroad friends and also my master's friends because it was international business. There was loads of different nationalities but we had so much in common and it's so much fun working with other people from different places yeah for sure I found exactly the same like even my husband's worked abroad as well and he studied languages and I think there is a certain type of person that definitely you know, pushes themselves out of their comfort zone and put yourself in a situation where you don't know anyone you're speaking a different language and it's a bit sink or swim isn't it but those oh, are some is, of the yeah. richest most rewarding experiences well it sounds like a really interesting career and obviously real estate is very different to where you are now and this is what I love about the podcast because I think people just don't realize how much becoming a mum just shifts your life it just changes your life and you think well I'll go back to the same job and obviously lots of people do but the number Mm -hmm. of women who shift careers within that three years after first having babies is so enormous and 85% or something will quit that existing role within three years which is such a massive statistic so tell me about having Rory being pregnant what was going on for you at that time and how was your pregnancy? Yeah, my pregnancy with him was great. We got pregnant just a few months after we got married. It was a really straightforward pregnancy. I was really fit and active during it. And have you always been an active person? Yeah, I have been. Yeah. Yeah, that helps. Yeah, the birth wasn't great. But yeah, once I'd recovered, I was fine. And he was not a super difficult baby. I mean, you know, took six months to sleep through the night, but it wasn't kind of dreadful. And, you know, he was always sort of a happy, you know, it wasn't wasn't anything super challenging like there's awful stories that you hear about colicky babies or allergy babies or anything like that so I took a year of maternity leave and I decided to go back four days a week so I still had my Fridays off interesting so firstly I'm really sorry to hear about your birth what happened it was quite straightforward my waters had sort of broken earlier I didn't really realize that that was happening it wasn't really the kind of gush that you that you see on the films that happens in friends yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so by the time I'd actually got into hospital it had been that kind of over 12 hours or whatever it is so you have the risk of infection and I was actually sort of over contracting so as soon as my contractions started they were coming every two minutes had they given you an induction? No, it was all or, just sort of oh, going so weird. naturally. So I had that for about eight hours and then I got epidural, which was fine. So then you're just kind of riding it out, aren't you? Waiting to dilate. 
that was basically took a whole day and then we were ready to push and it was okay and it was just an hour and a half of pushing and I did that thing where I kind of let the epidural wear off because you know they sort of tell you like Mm. oh you can sort of like let it wear off a bit so you can feel when to push and an hour and a half went by (laughs) I was pretty tired oh no oh Um, god And yeah, I ended up having forceps and episiotomy, which wasn't too bad. But then the issue was my epidural had worn off and I had a retained placenta. So I had a lot of blood loss and then they didn't take me to theatre. And then I needed like a double blood transfusion, but they only gave that to me like 24 hours later. So I was just effed. Oh my God. That is wild like the birth itself wouldn't have been too bad it was just that little (laughs) pesky placenta at the end it's always so irritating isn't it with the benefit of hindsight because Mm. you think well duh somebody has lost a lot of blood you're probably going to need to check on that but it's so difficult and the services are so stretched when it's your first you don't know and in the classes they say like yeah the placenta just like flobs out and you know if it's not they just give you an injection and then it just flobs out well obviously no no not obviously not So yeah, and actually, we'll probably come onto it, but that caused me issues for my second pregnancy because I did end up having really bad scarring, internal scarring from that. This is the thing. I quite often talk about this with guests and particularly people that have had, I mean, I can count on one hand the number of people who've had a quote unquote straightforward birth. birth. <laughs> like, or what, what, whatever you want to call it, just like a NCT textbook, honestly, mm. one hand. In fact, I can't even think of a single person that's coming to mind. And I think that's what's challenging because you don't want to, I think there's a real culture of like, don't scare people, don't mm. say too much. But what I've started doing, I had two C-sections. My first was emergency, second was an elective. And mm. a friend of a friend was the only person I knew who had a baby who'd had a C-section. And she left me a really long voice note just being like, this is what to expect. This is what happens. That's it. Even the procedure, you're kind of going into it totally blind, oh aren't you? You're like... And I can't explain how helpful it was. And yeah. since then, I always do that. So you had Rory, lockdown happened four days a week. So I assume your childcare situation for Rory kind of fell yeah so we had a nanny and she lived with her parents and her dad was vulnerable so she wasn't coming to work anymore and we did I think about six weeks of both of us trying to work whilst looking after an 18 month old yeah that was not happening so I ended up taking voluntary furlough for four months what was that like It was great, actually. It was really nice weather. I had like loads of one-on-one time with him. Our secondary infertility journey had already started by then. So it was quite a comfort to have that quality time with him. So I really took that as a sort of positive in all of it. So it was sort of halcyon days in a way. Yeah. And you said secondary infertility. Mm. I know so many people who've been through that. It's such a surprising number. And again, it's one of those things that people don't really talk about. Because Mm. the other thing is that your status is so different to somebody who, you know, has, I don't know what the expression is, but like primary infertility, I guess, because you don't get the same level of support you have. Yeah, you've already got a child, so it doesn't matter. You're you're the lucky one. (laughs) Exactly. And people's attitudes are often like that, where it's like, oh, well, at least you've got Rory, or at least you've got your other child. I think people really underestimate the pain. Who's to Mm. say which is worse, which is better, but you long for a sibling 
you know it's just different yeah when you already have a child you also know what you're missing out on because you know what that love feels like like you know I wouldn't wish any situation on anyone like you said they're not comparable they're different but that was one of the hardest things with secondary infertility is you know what you're missing and you're juggling everything whilst you're you've got a child running around as well yeah and then people are saying things like oh relax and it's like well I can't really relax because I'm a working mother and I've got a toddler so and it's like a medical problem it's not just like you know something I've made up Yeah, I think people I think people really reduce it, don't they? Because they want something to say that's helpful. Mm. And I think sometimes people don't know what to say. And I often think that sometimes it's better just to say, I don't know what to say. Yeah. <laughs> Rather no, than exactly. Just like, like just say something. <laughs> just, yeah. Just, just like, don't be don't silent. Say something. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I mean, you said that obviously it was around lockdown time that you were going through this. And mm. I know just again from other guests that just the panic and the worry around COVID and fertility treatment and the fact that time is ticking, ticking, ticking. Yeah. And so many clinics were closed. So how did lockdown and COVID affect your experience of IVF? Yeah, so I had my diagnosis basically in January of 2020. Was it unexplained or? No, so I had some checks. So just from a very simple internal scan, they could see that there was quite bad internal scarring from blood tests and follicle checks I had a low follicle count and I had a low AMH which is an indicator of diminished ovarian reserve which means Mm. you have fewer eggs and therefore the quality overall is likely to be lower the first thing was they sort of put me on progesterone to see if that would help so I started taking progesterone around then and they booked me in for surgery beginning of April So that would have been a hysteroscopy. Yeah, I was all set for surgery beginning of April. And then obviously lockdown happened and surgery was cancelled, you know put on hold indefinitely. They must not have given you a date, right? It's just like, it's postponed. I mean, yeah. everyone was in complete freefall panic. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, so it was just so... like, you know, we knew there was a problem, but the world had stopped. So there was nothing we could really do about it. So we just carried on trying naturally. They had rescheduled my surgery for the summer. So it was June time. And literally two days before the surgery, I got a positive pregnancy test. Oh my God. So we were like, oh my God, like it was all meant to be. So I don't have to go through all this stuff. Like how amazing. So we cancelled the surgery, happy days. And then about two weeks later, I started bleeding. So we lost that one. Went into hospital all by myself because it was 2020. Had the miscarriage scan. You know, no one's there with you. So I part managed to pass it all naturally. Um, had all my blood tests and they confirmed, you know, that the pregnancy was gone. And then we rescheduled the surgery for I think August, and the same thing happened again. <laughs> so just before the surgery, oh my God, I got pregnant really again. Sorry. And then yeah, a few weeks later. Um, same thing happened. Then I actually ended up changing doctors. He just didn't have huge availability. So 
I found a new doctor who was brilliant. And at this point, I had already started loads of my own research. So I read this amazing book called It Starts With The Egg, which is this incredible book for anyone going preparing for IVF or going through infertility. And it's just this incredible guide to what kind of supplements you can take for you and your partner, depending on what conditions you have, depending on what your situation is. And it's just so informative because you may have poor egg quality but actually the three months window building up to your ovulation you can actually make a real change to your quality of eggs depending on your diet lifestyle changes supplements so I was just like oh hang on all is not lost (laughs) you can actually make a difference to that kind of thing so I had started all of that was taking probably about 16 pills a day I cut out alcohol I cut out caffeine I was not eating white carbs I wasn't eating refined sugar I you know wasn't wearing nail varnish I wasn't using fabric softener so we did that and then I finally had my surgery in September with the new doctor so I had a hysteroscopy and a laparoscopy so one goes up and one goes through the tummy so they removed all the scarring they found a small amount of endometriosis on one of my ovaries and one of my tubes was kind of partially blocked so they cleared all of that out that's a big operation yeah then we prepared for IVF we gave it a go and actually we had a really great outcome so we got 10 eggs nine of them fertilized and five of them made it to day five so our attrition rate was actually really low so we had a fresh transfer and on Christmas Eve 2020 we got a negative pregnancy test (laughs) but we were sort of buoyed by the fact that we did have four more embryos the process had gone well and you know we could crack on and try again for another transfer but January of 2021 (laughs) We went into lockdown again. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So the hospital closed. I moved my embryos to the Lister, who were still open and operating. How did they even get the embryos? It's a courier. (laughs) They just like courier them in like a frozen thing. But as in like if the clinic was, I mean, they must have still had the whole thing open, right? Because the fertility is in the same Yeah, they could still access things like that. But basically all the staff had been redeployed to other areas of the hospital. And then at the end of January 2021, so I was just preparing to start an embryo transfer at the Lister, I got pregnant again, naturally. Oh my God, Zoe. I got to my eight week scan with that one. I was still getting positive pregnancy tests. The hormones were still going, but I went for my scan and there was no baby. So after my clinic closed in January, that's when I was like, I cannot cope. Something has to give. And yeah, I spoke to my boss at work and I was just like, this is all the things that are going on. My anxiety was so overwhelming. I couldn't even get... Like I couldn't even get Rory to nursery by 9am and get to my desk without finding that to be a monumental task. And I was like, I'm aware that these are not difficult things and I'm finding them really difficult. So I was like, can I just take some unpaid leave for a few weeks? And my boss was like, oh my God, you're not going to feel well again in a few weeks, let's say three months. And then HR actually got in touch with me and said, you know what, you shouldn't be taking unpaid leave. This is not a holiday. You have the right to six months of fully paid medical leave through the company. And I was like, what? Yeah, you just need sign off from your GP every two weeks. And Mm. so they put me on 
fully paid medical leave for six months which was amazing that's insane I mean so supportive and so supportive incredibly positive that's really amazing yeah and that's one of the benefits of working for a big corporate right you know huge and the fact that actually someone approached me and talked because I didn't even know that was a thing yeah so we tried for a transfer the lister during the scans they said all your scarring's come back so I had to have another hysteroscopy then they didn't actually end up doing anything my doctor was like it's actually all clear that's all been cleared out but I still had to go through the whole procedure so we ended up trying various different protocols and I just wasn't responding to anything so I had three cycles that were cancelled and we didn't even get to embryo transfer for either of them and I was basically spiraling down a black hole of surrogacy and like like, well we have to remortgage our house to spend a hundred thousand pounds in America to try and get someone else to carry the baby and you know you know your mind takes you to crazy places and I was actually seeing a really lovely counsellor who specialises in recurrent miscarriage so she was great I was having sessions with her but I mean I was still really struggling and then it was on that third cancelled transfer so we'd done a sort of natural cycle so I had ovulated naturally Mm. and we got to the day of transfer and they were just like no we're not going to waste an embryo on this the lining's too thin there's fluid between the layers it's not sustainable but I got pregnant naturally on that cycle with my daughter (laughs) but you must have been a puddle of worry I was a puddle do you know what I blacked out the entire pregnancy I mean that Um, just doesn't even remotely surprise me it's just yeah I mean there was no joy with that positive test there was no joy (laughs) and the further you get along the more terrifying it is yeah because then you think well then I'll lose it later and then I'll have to go through the whole birth process or and then I just had all these like cruel things like I went for my seven week scan with my lovely doctor at the Lister and there was a heartbeat and I just couldn't actually believe it you know like wasn't breathing and then I walked home through Clapham Common stopped to go for a wee and there was blood everywhere I was like oh my god I was like, is this a joke? Honestly. And I just called her straight away. And she was like, it doesn't happen like that. We've just seen the baby. It doesn't just fall out. The heart is beating. Come off your blood thinners for a couple of days. Hopefully the bleeding will stop soon. So yeah, it did stop. It did progress. But the level of anxiety that I experienced was completely debilitating, to be honest. Mm. And then it came to the birth and we both tested positive for COVID, Nick and I. Sweet. <laughs> like two weeks before the birth. Awesome. That's just what you want. And I was fine. And we were like, it's actually okay because we will have done our 12 days or whatever. But he was just testing positive, testing positive. And the midwives were like, oh no, well you need to come in and have a COVID test. Like I don't know if he'll be able to be present. And that was the final straw. I'd been holding it together. Yeah. I called my counsellor and I was like, I need you. I had basically gone to the place where I was then convinced that my baby was going to be stillborn Mm -hmm. and Nick wouldn't even be at the hospital to be able to hold our dead baby. And this was three days before my induction. And that's where I was. And I knew it was irrational, but that's where I was spiraling out of all control. So she talked me down off a ledge. We did lots of cathartic processing the evil thoughts and getting rid of them. And Nick was able to be there, thankfully, because I had another grim birth. Um, (laughs) Even grimmer. (laughs) What? 
oh come on no way but I was induced this time and luckily oh God, they were like sorry. you can go home and I was like no I think I'm just gonna no, stay I'm gonna in the hospital stay here. I have a good track record <laughs> and they were like nothing will happen your cervix will just open really oh, gently and I had these non-hormonal seaweed rods put in my cervix so they were just supposed to absorb the fluid and just gently open my cervix for 12 hours and then they were going to break my waters and start the labor but immediately classic I start bleeding I'm like right is this supposed to happen and they're like yeah yeah it's fine I do go into labor <laughs> Excellent. and I'm like Bleeding's getting like quite heavy through the night. And they were like, um, heavier than a period? I was like, yeah, heavier than a period. And they were like, well, nothing to be worried about until it's gushing. And then an hour later, yeah, I'd say it was kind of gushing now. Like, what is going on? And it wasn't that painful yet. My contractions weren't particularly close together. So they were like, well, we don't want to give you an epidural yet because then you won't be able to move around. Have a paracetamol, try and get some sleep. And then, you know, it'll probably be go time in the morning. An hour later, I woke up and I was like, Rah! yeah. <laughs> I was on the really nice, quiet induction ward. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> other like ladies. Sorry. <laughs> and I managed to get my way to the loo. Nick basically carried me to the loo. I don't know what came out in that loo, but it was every single bodily fluid known to man. The rods were long gone. I was basically unconscious on the, on the bathroom floor. <laughs> And they were like, I think we need to get you to the delivery suite. I oh, was like, really? Okay. Oh, really? Do you think so? Do you think that would be a good idea? And then, yeah, she was stuck. So I was just pushing without an epidural for like an hour again. Excellent. And because I didn't have the epidural, I could feel the blood loss, which I hadn't had with Rory. So mm. it's just these whooshes of like the blood basically draining out of you. But thankfully, because I'd had the retained placenta previously, it's quite common to have it again. So they were prepared for it, but they took me straight straight into theatre because then you give birth and then you start contracting again you think you've finally done with yeah. the pain and then it all starts again and you're like no it's like lying in that theatre I was like please someone help me and eventually the anesthetist came with a spinal block and I was like oh my god I love you so much <laughs> uh, by that point I'd lost about two and a half litres of blood so they immediately put me on a drip and gave me a double blood transfusion like straight away, which really helped so much with my recovery. This is the craziest <laughs> journey to two kids. I think I seriously in like maternity <laughs> podcast history, I have never heard a story like this. This is extraordinary. Then you are lucky to have this woman working for you. Seriously. So yeah, so as soon as she was born, you know, I hadn't basically slept for three years because of my anxiety. So everyone was like, oh, you must be so tired. And I'm like, tired? I, the baby's here. She's alive. Like, I don't care if I have to get up a couple of times in the night. night. night, like, night. I'm getting way more sleep now than I was when I was pregnant. Jesus. But like I said, it was just waiting mm. for someone to rip the rug out from under you at all times you're just holding your breath I totally understand but yeah so that's when I started reassessing everything I was planning on going back to my old job like I said they had been so brilliant I, ha I ended up having about eight months of medical leave and then I went back three days a week 
for a second half of my pregnancy. And again, they were great. They made sure I had someone monitoring me the whole time. They let me have my like Thursdays off to keep doing my counseling and my acupuncture and all of that kind of holistic stuff that I really needed during my mm. pregnancy. And then I went on maternity leave. So I basically hadn't really worked for them for the best part of two years. And it was yeah. sort of COVID before that. So it was a weird, weird time. And then I started doing carry fit again. And it is a baby wearing fitness class. So Vern is the founder and he's got a background in sports science and pre and postnatal personal training. And he's been doing it for 20 plus years. So it's all kind of exercises designed to really help new mums so pelvic floor strengthening offload balance mimicking kind of all the muscles that you need in your day-to-day life as a mum you don't need childcare. you don't have to worry about their nap times because the little ones basically just fall straight to sleep because of the motion and the bigger ones love it <laughs> that's kind of the concept of how it was and then Vern got in touch with me because we'd stayed in contact during that whole time and he was looking for investors in the business So I said to my husband, I wouldn't be adverse to putting a small amount into it and seeing. And I said, as far as I wear at the moment, he's still a bit of a one man band. So, you know, I don't know if I want to go back to there's a lot of travel with my old job. I didn't really want to work more than three days a week. So I was like, he might need someone to help him out with the business side if he's looking to grow it. So I went to meet with him and he was like, we've designed our own carrier. We've got an app. It's all coming out next year. I've got the tech guys. I've got the carrier designer. The team was already growing at that point. But he's like, I'm not a business person. I love the fitness side of it. I love creating the content. I love teaching classes and to get the business to the next level you know we need a board in place we need proper financial management I really want to hand it over now to business people who can take it to where it needs to be and then he was like I really want to recruit from my carry fit world I'm so aware that I train loads of really talented women who might want a career change I really want to offer flexible contracts and things like this and I was like that's interesting (laughs) (laughs) now that is meant to be I literally always started laughing and I was like so what roles are you looking for and he sort of gave me an eyebrow he was like really and I'm well yeah seriously yeah well I really want to set up the corporate arm of the business so he was like wouldn't be something until kind of next spring and I was like perfect that's just when Mariella turns one and I'll be looking to come back to work <laughs> he's like we've just signed a, to open an office in Balham I was like great I live in Balham that's like 15 minutes walk from <laughs> literally like Um, and I've got a corporate background so between like me my husband our friends like there would be so many companies we could already get cracking with it all just kind of fell into place so yeah I started with carry fit in April of this year and it's amazing I have a three day a week contract I have 12 weeks off a year so I can be really flexible around the school holidays I'm totally autonomous I manage my own hours my daughter's got a slight neurological condition so we have quite a few doctors appointments and stuff with her so I can just fit all of that into my schedule and get my work done when I need to get my work done and they're just like super duper supportive and it's pretty great really sorry to interrupt are you a woman on a career comeback journey or a business looking to empower your female employees during their returnities well let me introduce you to the springback guide a revolutionary digital coaching product that's changing the game for women and businesses alike. Our Spring Back Guide is designed to help women go back to work feeling happy and confident. 
It's like having a personal coach right on your phone, guiding you every step of the way. Plus, now here's the real game changer, it costs just a fraction of the price of conventional coaching. No more time-consuming and expensive coaching sessions. With Springback Guide, we're putting the power in your hands, right where it belongs. We're not just changing the game, we're changing the way women and businesses consider fraternity. So, if you're looking to make your career comeback with confidence, or if you're a business looking to empower your female workforce and want to find out more, visit us at springbackguide.com or follow us on Instagram at springbackguide and join the revolution today. Nothing ever stays the same, right? You have piece of bad luck after piece of bad luck after piece of bad luck. It's just what goes down has to eventually come up. I just yeah. think generally. And it just sounds like so many things fell into place to make that happen. It's just extraordinary. It was almost laughable. I was like yeah. literally everything. <laughs> because then this year we still had four embryos. So we were like, should we think about having another baby? Oh my life. <laughs> I think if we didn't have any embryos left, we would have just absolutely not bothered. But there is something quite difficult about having embryos there. So mm, I, I stopped breastfeeding, yeah, March of this year and got pregnant naturally on my first cycle. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> again got to my eight week scan and again all my pregnancy tests were all positive but it was a blighted ovum so the sac was developing ah, okay. and all the hormones were pumping but there was no embryo inside the sac so I had to have that medically managed twice because it kept on not working so we tried an embryo transfer in September which worked and then two weeks later it was gone so we're preparing to hopefully try a transfer in January <laughs> oh man it's just so much so much and obviously yeah. we're going to get on to how Caravik is considering all of this but I think so many businesses especially the ones I'm talking to now are really getting that we still don't have a term for it and if anyone's listening I'd love to hear people's ideas but like for the whole cycle of like just being a woman and trying to work mm-hmm. I think people think yeah. this oh maternity and it's like no 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 you've got the fertility bit before you've got miscarriages you've got neonatal leave you've got the, yeah. the maternity then you've got what I'm doing the maternity so you've got perimenopause you've got all of the other stuff that comes with it. and also just being a working mum right like yeah. you've got the maternity but you've also got the bit after that yeah. and it's just like this is the cost of the fact that we have to have kids to continue the human race I don't like saying oh this is the cost of employing women because we need people women to have babies to continue our economy <laughs> and continue the world so I'm always quite hesitant to say like it's the cost of having women it's not the cost of having women it's the cost of mm. the human race like that's just how it is so actually after my first maternity leave I mm. got screwed over on my bonus me and another lady so there was quite a lot of back and forth with HR and the HR lady was like um well, it was your choice to have a child. <gasps> no. Oh, no, no, no. And no. I was like, okay, and what if everyone in the world chose to not have children? Then where yeah. would we be then? Eh? Yeah. yeah. I was like, it's not, not a right flipping response. sabbatical. Like, no. honestly. I had a friend as a joke. He said, oh, how's the baby holiday? And we, <laughs> turns out we went through a really tough experience with my first. And he's, he's a really good friend. And I was like, look, 
I'm not going to get cross, but we need to talk about why you can't say that to people. I just want yeah, to like, really get you to understand why. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a dick about it, but I just tried to be like, look, this is why I don't say that, you know, just don't yeah. say that. This is why. And at the end, he was like really apologetic. I was like, I'm really sorry. And I was like, it's fine. It's fine. And it's the thing is, I think some of these things are bandied around so much yeah. that you just don't you think, oh, I'm just joking. It's like, well, yeah, but. And someone may seem totally fine on the surface and often does seem totally fine on the they surface laugh, they laugh and you it off and then, have yeah. no idea actually what has happened that day that month in the last exactly. three months to them and yeah it can just like not you for six can't it exactly exactly so yeah I think there is a really interesting movement I was speaking to a big private healthcare company the other day and they were saying you know that that's something that they're really looking at which is like that whole circle how can we support women from beginning to end mm. and what does that look like and I was just like oh what a time to be alive this is very cool I love that yeah. businesses are really really starting to seriously think about that and I think the menopause movement that's been coming out has really helped people to understand I think people are so much more open and communicative now and it's crazy because the whole working day you know men have a daily hormonal cycle so the men are most active when they're feeling at their best. And women, we have a monthly hormonal cycle and we're expected to still come into work, deliver, you know, top of our game on the days when hormonally we're at rock bottom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's like no consideration is yeah. taken for any of that. And then you put that in the context of like, you know, world class athletes and things like that. And it's just all mind boggling, isn't it? I remember that girl and her name's escaping me now. She's going to really irritate me. There was a woman who said like, yeah, well, I didn't really perform as well as I liked you today. But, you know, I'm on my period <laughs> and blah, blah, blah. And everyone was like, <gasps> why is she even saying that? And every woman everywhere was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Yeah. you know they're like yeah just I mean, like the yeah. outfits they have to wear like they're like I'm on my period and I'm basically like on in a global hand. stage running around in like a swimming <laughs> costume <laughs> surrenders it's it's so crazy it's so crazy so I want to talk about why did I get a carry fit on them in the first place okay few reasons well namely because Zoe got in touch with me and said let's have a chat so that was fun but I think secondly because I think what they're doing is really really interesting so tell me a bit more about that because your role head of corporate well-being where do you want this to go in 10 years what do you want Carry Fit to be doing with corporates? We're obviously still quite an unknown brand on the consumer side and in the corporate side so brand awareness is huge for us and what really makes us different from other carriers is when you buy the carrier or get gifted the carrier by your employer, you get 12 months access to our CarryFit app. So this has obviously got quite a lot of fitness content on it, drip fed to you depending on what stage of your recovery you're at. So in those first kind of eight weeks post-birth, you will get regular check-ins depending on what kind of birth you had. Again, you can say, did you have a vaginal birth, a C-section, and then all the content will be tailored to that. So the idea was to kind of fill that void that you don't get in this country when you go for your six-week check at the GP, where they basically just say like are you suicidal are you on the pill okay bye <laughs> it's like <Yeah>. what <laughs> 
Um, oh, so, six week check. Oh. Yeah, that classic that, you know, oh. and we obviously did loads of studies into what people want to need. So we're trying to sort of preempt those hiccups that you might face and give you the knowledge before it becomes an issue. So it's a really kind of holistic platform. So yeah, so because of this 12 months access to the app, we thought there was just such a nice fit with the corporate structure because yeah. this huge life changing thing has happened huge hormonal shifts and they're expected to come back exactly the same as where they left off when fundamentally it's just nonsense so our kind of approach for it is you know we can support your employees whilst you can't you know we can give them a brilliant gift of the carrier which 90% of new parents use anyway so that's definitely something that differentiates us and Mm. there are loads of great products there but there's not really anything that is just specific to new parents so there obviously are Mm -hmm. huge challenges in the well-being market in general at the moment but it's something that we are so passionate about and you know we will Mm. never stop banging that drum basically (laughs) pretty much you've summarized the reason why I wanted you to come on here I think it is really helping to fill that space I think there's more to do it's why I Mm. exist it's why you know the other change makers I've had on the uh, on the podcast exist too I think this is really a huge trend for 2024 which is that inclusion piece and how can we make people truly feel included even when they're not in the office and I think that's a really really nice way to do that so anybody listening please check Carrie Fit out I have to say it was an easy sell (laughs) to me to get you guys on I think it's really exciting and I'm so looking forward to seeing where it all goes Mm. and I'm so grateful Zoe for sharing your story there will be so many women listening to this who've been through similar experiences and especially on the fertility side so a really big thank you yeah well if it gives anyone like a grain of hope I am quite open to sharing my experiences because I've taken comfort from other people who have generously done the same with me so um yeah like you said we pass it on don't we 100% well thank you so much we've run out of time but I'm wishing you all the best with the countdown and I just, I'm really, really excited to see where you guys go. I think it'll be really interesting. You made it. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Returnity. We hope you found the discussion inspiring and informative. Returnity is about celebrating and supporting women on their back to work journeys. And speaking of support, don't forget about the Springback Guide. It's the innovative and cost-effective solution for women and businesses alike. Empower yourself or your female workforce with confidence and success on the road to fraternity. To learn more about the Springback Guide and how it's changing the way we approach women's return to work, visit springbackguide.com. See you next week.